Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, all advancing. Stocks are rising for a fourth day. The dollar is strengthening after data-bolstered optimism that the U.S. economy is on firm footing. S&P 500 index up 10, a gain of four-tenths of one percent. The Dow up 11, a gain of one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ higher by 61 points, up 1%. The 10-year down 3.30 seconds. The yield 2.14%. Gold down 4.80 the ounce, down 4 tenths of 1%. Crude oil, West Texas Intermediate, down 1% to 45.99 a barrel. Gasoline surging now by 6.2%. I'm Charlie Pelleton. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, got it, Charlie. Thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets. It is time for the Bloomberg ETF report brought to you by BlackRock. Worried about market volatility? Minimum volatility strategies may be able to help. To learn more, please visit blackrock.com slash factors. Prepared by BlackRock Investments, LLC. Here at the Bloomberg ETF report, Bloomberg's Julie Hyman. I'm here with Eric Balchunas of Bloomberg Intelligence. The United States oil fund, Eric, is the world's largest and most traded oil ETF, but you say it hasn't actually been a great investment. Why not? Well, it's because it holds oil futures, and you always have to manage that position. And I won't go into the gritty details, but basically that's called rolling, and that will cost you anywhere from 10 to 40% a year. And so what people don't realize is that the oil uh, market, the spot oil, could go up like it is this year. And yet the oil ETF could be flat if you hold it long term. That's why it's better used as a short term trading vehicle and not a long term holding. Is there a chance, though, that it could improve? Yeah. So the amount of roll cost changes as the oil futures curve changes and it's getting a little flatter, which is good news. But who knows how long that will last? And it's not something that you really should bank on. Gotcha. So the USO better trading tool than a long term investment. Thanks, Eric. I'm Julie Hyman with the Bloomberg ETF report. You're listening to Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Let's talk a little bit about making money in this uh, financial market. Our next guest does look at the market on a technical basis, notes that the uh, stock market specifically, that the latest stretch without a 3% pullback is one of the longest ever. It's something we've heard our Bloomberg Stocks columnist Dave Wilson uh, point out as well. Let's get more from Ryan Dietrich back with us, senior market strategist at LPL Financial on the phone in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Ryan, good to have you back with us. Tell us a little bit about uh, about this stretch where we have not seen a 3% pullback on a technical basis. What's significant about that? Well, that's right, Carol. Thanks for having me back first off. So, you know, what's happened in the market since the election? Well, we haven't seen a 3% correction. So we're going on almost 10 months now. Going back since 1928, the S&P 500, this is the second longest stretch without so much as a 3% correction on the S&P 500. When you consider the fact that we're entering into the dreaded month of September, you know, historically the worst return since 1928 on the, um, on the S&P 500, it's been down the last three years, worst return the past 20 years. You know, we've got this long run, really not a lot of volatility, and September's around the table. So to us, it makes sense to maybe lighten up a little bit here and kind of look for potentially uh, some well-deserved volatility, because markets, they can be volatile. We haven't seen it in a while, but we wouldn't be shocked if that came back to us here. 
Right. I get that. Um, but I mean, markets don't just sell off because it's time to sell off. It's not like, right. like a little checklist. So fundamentally, when you look at things, and I know valuations, uh, you know, people talk about uh, how that they, you know, we see a market that's overvalued, generally speaking. Uh, you know, what else says to you that it's troubling some of the underpinnings of this financial market? Mm-hmm, sure. Well, when you look under the surface a little bit, you know, some of those advanced decline lines, when we get technical on us, you know, we haven't quite seen the strong, broad participation that we normally see during healthy markets. Now, again, this is just more near-term concerns. I mean, you know, Carol, you mentioned valuations. Mm-hmm. Valuations absolutely are stretched historically, but when you factor in the very low inflation that we've been seeing, we think valuations are relatively actually um, kind of right in line where they should be. But in the end, it does come down to the economy. You know, we've looked at two straight double-digit earnings, um, year-over-year earnings growth, first time since 2011. And all in all, you know, look at today's data, 3% GDP print. I know that's backward-looking. Uh, nonetheless, we continue to see, you know, positive signs in the economy. So to us, the economy looks good. It's just the fact some little internal weakness going on inside the market. You know, small caps and transports specifically have underperformed. Those can be a little bit of that uh, canary in the coal mine. But again, you know, uh, historically speaking, you have about 5 3% corrections a year. We haven't had one in 10 months. We're not calling for the end of the world by any means here. We'd still be a buyer of a dip. We just think, you know, uh, getting a little long in the tooth and maybe being a little patient here makes a lot more sense. You know, we had an earlier guest uh, worked at the uh, Dallas Federal Reserve. She's a Bloomberg profit columnist, uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth. And she said, you know, I could pretty much make the case for why we might actually get a Fed rate cut versus a Fed increase uh, in the near future. And she's talking specifically, like, look at some of the auto industry numbers, uh, look at some of the housing numbers that we're seeing, uh, concerns there. Um, how does that factor in potentially? Sure. Well, first off, you know, we, we don't think there's much of a chance of rate hike, but I, I get it. You can make arguments. You know, what we just did this week, actually, we looked at all of the, the corporate earnings um, notes that came out. And we, we saw, Carol, a lot of positives. You know, there was very little discussion of Trump. There was a lot of very little discussion of a recession. You know, the U.S. dollar isn't so important. So really, these companies are looking at more fundamentals. We saw a lot more positive notes when it came to earnings than, than negative. So again, those are all pluses. But you're right, you know, the autos and some other areas are, you know, you could say cracks in the surface. But when we see consumer confidence breaking out again to, to new highs, um, you know, the earnings continue to be strong. And look where the earnings came from, technology and financials. You know, those have kind of brought us to the dance, and we still think, you know, those are the two largest components, the S&P 500, as long as the earnings keep coming from the right areas, uh, we'd still be um, positive here, you know, on markets, and we think there's still a good chance of one more rate hike, not a cut, a rate hike probably in December is still, even though I think futures are, what, 35% chance approximately, we think it's probably a little bit higher than that, and in fact, likely of a rate hike in December. We're talking with Ryan Dietrich, Senior Market Strategist over at LPL Financial, on the phone from Charlotte, North Carolina. Your own research, though, reminds us that we're getting ready to enter the worst two months of the year. Uh, again, that alone doesn't necessarily say we're going to see it this time around again, but but we are typically running into the quarter where we start to see potentially some selling uh, within the market. Uh, could we, should we see some kind of a pullback? 
Carol, we do think so. You know, like we said, I mean, August historically has been a troublesome month, and we've probably got one more day in August and probably going to be down. I mean, think about it like this. The S&P 500 has been positive on a total return basis. So, again, that includes dividends. Nine consecutive months, longest streak since when, of course, 1995, and all these records are playing in. So we've had a really nice run. Um, you know, historically, you've got the troublesome September. And let's be honest, so why is September troublesome? You know, we can get into some of those things. What's happening this September? Well, you've got the Fed. You've got the ECB. You've got the BOJ. And we have to even get into all the Washington drama with the budget, budget issues and debt ceiling issues. So September is a month that's usually volatile. We've got a lot of events we think that can definitely make it uh, just that, very volatile. What other indices do you look at um, specifically? Like if you take a look at the Dow Transports versus, let's say, the S&P 500, or if I look at a chart um, of the Dow, the Dow and the S&P certainly mirror one another because we've seen right. kind of upward momentum. But you look at something like Transports, that's a whole other chart. We've seen a significant pullback uh, from the Dow Transports since about mid-July. Uh, I think if you pull up the Russell as well, you'll see a similar chart uh, to that exactly. of the Dow Transports. You've seen that group pull back as well. Well, doesn't that worry you a little bit about uh, the underpinnings of the market as well? Sure, Carol, it absolutely does. I mean, you know, let's be honest, those are quote-unquote the Trump trades, whether you believe that or not. That's what they've kind of been lumped as, and, and no question. Small, small caps, caps too? Small caps too? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at what small caps did initially after the election last year, clearly they did well. And why did they do well? Well, the hope of tax reform, which clearly has been pushed back, and that's obviously, we think, why small caps have kind of underperformed this year. Is yeah. The, you know, keep punting back the tax reform. <laughs> All right, we got to run. Hey, Ryan, thanks. Ryan Dietrich, uh, Senior Market Strategist at LPL Financial, on the phone from Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got just about three and a half minutes left in today's trading session. We're going to walk you through those numbers and also some of the names on the move in the Wednesday trade. This is Bloomberg Radio.